0: Alright, how many of you have never been here for an Easter service? Raise your hand so I can see. A little higher? Alright, so here's the thing you got to know about our Easter services. The only two times Cornerstone dresses up is weddings and Easter. And a number of people have told me over the years that nobody told them that about Easter Sunday and they showed up in their jeans and then everybody else was all... so. Um, so just when you come, just realize that... We, um, we all look pretty at Easter. All right, this, um, this Lent leading up to Holy Week and, and Good Friday and Easter, we've been exploring um, fasting from normal things in life so that we can gain more of Christ in life. And up till now, we've been talking about fasting, about all kinds of th- uh, different things. We've actually encouraged each of us to give up something um, for, for, to create space for Christ, but up till now, we've not talked about the almost exclusively way, exclusive way the scriptures talk about fasting. So today, we're going to talk about BFFs, which stands for Biblical Food Fasts. When the Bible talks about fasting, it almost always exclusively talks about fasting from food for spiritual purposes. Um, I don't know what your church background was like. In my church background, fasting was hardly ever talked about in any way. So another um, couple of show of hands. Did any of you grow up in a church background where fasting was like really emphasized or overemphasized? Anybody? Okay. All right. That? Okay, a little bit. So let me say this to you because then it doesn't apply to anybody else. Um, There are times when... Churches overemphasize fasting, and it goes deformational. If you've been in that background, sometimes you need to detox from fasting from your background, and you really need to get back to what biblical fasting is about. My church background, it just pretty much wasn't, wasn't talked about much. You know, John the Baptist fasted, but his fashion sense and his diet you know, regimen was pretty strange, so you just kind of marked him up as weird, right? Um, Jesus fasted for 40 days, but you kind of think, well, he's the son of God, so that doesn't quite count. And then when you come across the Old Testament people, because every once in a while you find out, you know, the people of the Old Testament fasted or individuals fasted, um, and you think, but that's so far back that certainly it doesn't apply to anything in my life. But there were two scriptures that I came across that kind of made me wonder about fasting. The first one's in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has been talking about the three foundational spiritual practices of faithful Jews, which are prayer, giving to the poor, and fasting. And when he talks about fasting, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to people that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Wait, what? Jesus didn't say if we fast. To his disciples, he said to his disciples, When you fast? That kind of makes you wonder a little bit. And then the second scripture is Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15. And it's another, feels like an off the cuff kind of response of Jesus, but it makes you wonder again about fasting. Matthew 19, 9, 14 and 15, um, we read John the Baptist's disciples came and asked Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom, referencing himself, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn when he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom, Jesus, will be taken from them. Then they will fast. And so I came across those scriptures, and, um, and I thought, there must be something that would cause Jesus just to naturally assume that all of his followers are going to fast. And it's interesting because there's no New Testament command that says that we are supposed to fast to create space for Christ. All we have in the New Testament are these kind of, this gentle invitation to fast. So Charles Wesley, the founder of Methodism, (coughs) he said that some church backgrounds just overemphasize fasting beyond what the scriptures would say. He says, but other church backgrounds completely disregard what the scriptures say that was my background, it really had no place, so I realized that I needed to do a, a search of the scriptures and figure out what do the scriptures say about fasting. So, the first question I asked is Who in the Bible fasted? Wrong question, because I started to make a list, and the question is Who in the Bible didn't fast? I mean, you come across it time and time again in times of crisis, personal crisis or national crisis, in times of wanting to seek the will of God. You just, basically, you come to the realization anybody who is significant spiritually in the scripture seems to, at some point, have come across fasting. And then in the New Testament church, we don't realize it, but in the New Testament church, they continued that spiritual discipline of fasting that they got from Judaism. And in the church, after the New Testament came to a close, the practice was that the followers of Jesus fasted two days a week. They fasted on Wednesdays, and they fasted on Fridays. So the followers of the original disciples clearly assumed that fasting was going to be a normal part of the spiritual life. Um, so, all right, let's get something out of the way. There is, just in terms of physically fasting... There are physical benefits from fasting. Um, So, you know, your doctor will tell you to fast before you go your annual physical. Um, Intermittent fasting is a thing now to lose weight, and I don't want to get into any of that. So there there are just benefits from physically fasting. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, There are also spiritual benefits from fasting that don't have anything to do with Christianity. As human beings, we are created with bodies and with spirits. And fasting kind of brings those together in some interesting ways so that there are are human spiritual benefits of fasting, which is why fasting is in almost every religion. There is some practice of fasting to tap into those benefits that have nothing to do with Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is biblical food fasts where we try to create space for Christ by abstaining from food or drink, In some way. So today I want to give you um, the motivation for biblical food fasts. And then I want to give you some of the rewards for biblical food fasts. And then I want to just leave you with like five suggestions for getting um, biblical food fasts starting in your life. The most common thing I hear when I start talking to people about biblical fasting is something like I could never. They might not say it out loud, but I watch it in people's eyes. I could never go a whole day without food. Um, one person, I like how this person said it. Let me start by saying, I'm not a girl who forgets to eat. Never will you hear me utter, did I eat lunch? Food has always been a driving force in my life. If I'm not eating it, I'm plotting to eat it and never do I diet. And she's one of those annoying people that's like 112 pounds and eats all the time. All right, Um, A whole bunch of people when a pastor or you know, when I or some other pastor start to talk about fasting, what you're thinking in the back of your head is something like, all right, give it your best shot, Pastor Bill, but there ain't no chance that I'm going to start to figure out how to fast because I can't go an entire day without food. To which my response is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> and there were times when you will fast. So um, if you, when you get into having the annual physicals with your doctor, they're going to say fast for 12 hours or 24 hours so that when they give you blood tests, were and you will fast, all right? There's this um, great, great um, joy that you have in front of you. When you turn 50 years old, any medical doctors, you know what I'm going to say, right? When you do, do fit, turn 50 years old, there is a test that you are going to have medically. And you're going to go to your doctor, and he or she is going to say, so, have you had your colonoscopy? And you'll say, what? <laughs> and the doctor's going, oh boy. <laughs> so what they do is they give you this vile tasting liquid and they say, drink this for like eight hours. And after you drink it, yes, everything on the inside of you wants to get on the outside of you because they want to clean out your intestines so they can put a camera in to see if you've got any cancer in your colon. And you will all do that. It will be miserable, but you will do it. And the reason you will do it is because you want a longer and better life. Which is the exact reason for biblical fasting. We engage in biblical fasting because we want better lives. That's not that strange a concept. When you get married, yesterday I officiated a wedding. And I talked to the couple and I talked to them about the self denial that they were gonna have to have in order to have a good marriage, that they would have to not think about themselves all the time, but but always be thinking about the best good of the person that they love. Right? In marriage, you are going to, if your marriage is any good, you're gonna deny yourself more than you ever thought you would ever have to do if you want a good marriage. And you will do that willingly for the benefit of having a better life. And then um, if you get married and then if you have kids, you, are, you, you guys can't imagine how much you are going to deny yourself when you have little children. Your parents did it for you. You're going to do it for your kids. Our, um, our son-in-law, at one point, when um, shortly after they had Abigail, um, uh, talked with Christine, and he and Christine talked to Marla and I and then his mom, and they said, Thank you so much for not killing us when we were infants. Children are tyrants. They're these despots who sometimes you have to look at them every 60 seconds to make sure they're still alive for another day. And you will willingly deny yourself for the sake of a better life with your children and for your children. And you'll, Marla, for I think for six years, Marla had a stack of books on her bedside stand that she never ever got to read because she was the mom of young children. And so, um, so I'm going to make sure that what I say because I don't want this to be listened to by my daughter, our Sarah could be the most challenging of ours. She was the most fun. No, hands down. She's the kind of kid that she would do something wrong and you knew you were supposed to discipline her, but you could hardly stop from laughing. Okay, that's my Sarah. So this last week, those of you who were at retreat last week know this. This last week, I got to experience incredible joy in Sarah because she got engaged last Saturday. And I know, and Every sacrifice I ever made for Sarah was worth it for having a life of joy um, with her as my daughter. All right, same thing happens for grades. If you want good grades, you got to deny yourself. If you want to get into a good grad school, you gotta, you got to say no to a bunch of other stuff. There are going to be some spring trips you won't go to. If you want to learn to play an instrument, if you want to get proficient in a sport, you're going to have to say no to all kinds of other things for the sake of the benefits. If you're going to get promoted in your, your career... You're going to say no to a bunch of things, and you will do that willingly for the benefits of having a better life, which is exactly why we embark on on a lifetime of trying to understand and explore biblical fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says just very clearly, your heavenly Father who sees what you do in secret, your heavenly Father who sees your fasting will reward you for it. I think we spend way too much time when we come to fasting thinking about everything we have to give up and not near enough time realizing how much we have to gain when we learn biblical fasting. And so, um, so let me give you some of the rewards of biblical fasting. I'm just kind of, I went through just, just scriptures and then in my life, and I, I just have, have, you don't have to write all these down. You can email me and I can send them to you. Um, but here are some of the rewards of biblical fasting. Number one, biblical fasts, increase our connection to God in prayer. They simply do. When you set aside a time and decide that you're not going to eat so that you can connect better with God, throughout your fast day, when you get hungry, use that as a prompt and you will talk to God throughout that day. So when my stomach growls, that's automatic prayer on my fast days. It's kind of weird. On your fast days, it's kind of weird how often you're going to think about food. I mean, it's like food's everywhere. <laughs> you wouldn't have noticed it any other day, but on your fast day, it's like you. every time I think of food or see food on my fast day, it's a prompt to me to return to God in prayer. So fasts increase our connection to God in prayer. Secondly, though, biblical fasts really do strengthen our prayers. We see this throughout the scriptures, that when, when something really mattered to people in the scriptures to bring before God, they would often combine it with fasting. And God somehow, his power is off. Now you can't twist God's arm. We can't force him by, you know, if I fast three days and God's going to have to give me this wife, right? We can't make that happen. But when we fast, very often God's power is released in our lives and our prayers are strengthened. We see it with King David. We saw it with Ezra, with Joel, with the church in Antioch, with Nehemiah. Um, Fasting, uh, one writer says it this way, fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importance to our praying and to give force to our pleading in the court of heaven. The person who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that they are truly in earnest, using a means that God has chosen. So the next time you ache for prayers to be answered, consider having a fast day to pray and see what God does. Number three, Biblical fasts tap into the wisdom and guidance of God. So very often, the church in Antioch, they they fasted and prayed before they sent Paul and Barnabas out on the missions trip. Moses um, fasted and prayed, and and the Lord gave him the the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Jesus, before he started his public ministry, he made sure he had an extended time of fasting to receive the wisdom and guidance from God. Whenever I have a major decision to make, I always set aside a day for prayer and fasting. I always connect my, my circle of friends and tell them the situation so that they can give me their wisdom. But I always, always, always set aside a day for fasting so that I can hear God's wisdom. All right, number four. Biblical fasts reveal what's inside of us. So it's sort of like when, when we fast, it's like our, our souls are squeezed. And junk that's down inside spurts out. Which sometimes is kind of ugly and it's kind of messy. Sometimes it's just downright embarrassing. But fasting is designed to let what is underneath the surface come up so that Christ can heal us. That is one of the primary purposes for fasting. So some people will, will start to experiment with fasting and then they'll have a horrible day where you know all this junk inside of them is, is showing up, and they'll say, I'm never want to do that again. I want to tell you the purpose of one of the purposes of fasting is so that exact thing will happen because you're living with that stuff, whether you're paying attention to it or not. It's a grace of God to bring that out so that Christ can, can start to, to heal it. So, in his book on fasting and the celebration of discipline, Richard Foster writes this He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to, true, to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately in fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we'll rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. And then we will realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. So, fast days can sometimes kind of be internally disruptive. That's the grace of God. That's creating space for Christ to come in and touch those areas where there's, there's pain or, or there's wounds or where there's anger or where there's, there's bitterness. Um, it's one of the gifts of fasting. Number five, biblical fasts give us a physical and spiritual way to deal with our arrogance. Biblical fasts give us a way to deal with our arrogance. So King David said, I humbled myself through fasting. Probably the the most frequent connection to fasting in the scriptures is fasting and repentance. There are times when we just need to express our godly sorrow more than in dear jesus will you forgive me because you died for me on the cross there are times when fasting not as not as kind of some kind of self punishment but as a god given way to express our brokenness over our sin and so there ought to be i mean we wish it wasn't this way but there probably are going to be four or five or six or eight times in your life where you have sinned grievously and you know it and the right wholesome response is to humble yourself with fasting. Number six, biblical fasts, I've watched this over the years. I've watched it myself and with others. Biblical fasts can break the power of habitual sins. There are times when people come to me and they say, I just can't, I can't get rid of this. I don't know what to do. And one of my prescriptions is, maybe it's time for you to fast and pray about that. We all have our besetting sins, we all have our sins that that keep tripping us up over and over again and here's the sad thing i I did a actually a conference on um men and sexual purity um and and a guy said to me afterwards i, I still remember he came up to me and said i'm tired of my sexual sins destroying the people I love the most. There are times when when you just it's, we've got to deal with what's there. Again, it's not magic. It's not like we fast once and poof, it's gone. Um, this is going to take some persistence. But if there's an area of sin that you are struggling with, whatever it may be, whether it's control issues, whether it's pornography, whether it's anger, whether it's whatever it is, if, it, if it's greed, then you may want to set aside a day a week, sometimes two days a week, to fast over a period of time till you have victory over that sin. <clears throat> Number seven, um, Fasting actually is a useful tool to overcome spiritual lethargy. There are times for all of us when we do not desire God. And by the way, that's kind of normal. Nobody always lives on this spiritual high of 100% commitment to Jesus Christ. We sing about it and we wish we were there, but none of us is ever there. The greatest spiritual writers always talk about times of spiritual coldness. And they frequently talk about um, then responding to that with setting aside time to fast and pray so that we create space for God to reenter our lives. Number eight, biblical fasts can give us power for compassion in the world. It's very interesting. In Matthew chapter 9, the disciples of Jesus were trying to minister to a little boy who was demonized. And they tried everything that they'd watched Jesus do, they, they, everything, and nothing happened. Jesus shows up and, the, and Jesus um, heals the, the young boy from his demonization. And, um, and the disciples said, um, why didn't anything work? Jesus has this interesting comment. He says, this only is taken care of by fasting and prayer. There are some problems in the world that will only be resolved through fasting and prayer. There are areas of compassionate justice that may require fasting and prayer on the parts of God's people for there to be progress in those areas. Jesus points to that particular instance, and don't be surprised if you run into that. Fasting can give you a power to make the world better through, through the supernatural presence of God. Number nine, biblical fasts really can change the, the course of human events. Fasting can change history. So at the end of 1 Samuel, um, we watch throughout the book of Samuel, the nation of Israel is just in this downward, just it's just crashing and burning. We get down to the the end of of 1 Samuel, and there's a group of men who they're, they're men from a town called Jabesh Gilead. And this group of men decide that they're gonna fast for seven days. And we watch, after their fast, we watch the whole nation start to reconnect with God and start to thrive once again. King Jehoshaphat, danger for the nation. They're going to be attacked. Calls for fasting and prayer. God protects the nation. Esther, her her people are, are in danger of genocide. Calls for fasting and prayer. God changes the history of his people. We see it with Ezra. We see it with Daniel. We see it with Nehemiah. Fasting can change a nation. Which makes me wonder whether one of our responses to the current divisive political context in which we live, maybe we in the church are supposed to fast and pray about that. Maybe when it comes to race relationships, we're supposed to not just, you know, hope it gets better. Maybe we're supposed to fast and pray about Black Lives Matter. Maybe we're supposed to fast and pray about the famine in South Sudan, Maybe we're supposed to fast and pray. I I, I read, you know, week after week, the stuff that happens in Syria and the war and all of the refugee crisis. And when I came across this, I wondered whether some of that is on us. Maybe we're supposed to fast and pray in response to what's happening in the world. And we can see in the scriptures that very often it changes history. And then the last one I'll just give to you. There are way more, but I just wanted to give you the menu of... um, or a smorgasbord of, of rewards that God gives us. Biblical fasts, this one surprises, surprises us. Biblical fast can bring joy and celebration. We, I mean, usually, very often fasting is around repentance and sadness. But biblical fast can actually bring joy and celebration. And we find that in Zechariah 8.19. God says, the fasts, um, the, the fasts that were woven into the Jewish um, Year And God says, the fasts of the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th months will become seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts to love, truth, and peace. That's fascinating. And I realize that, and, and I've been trying to nurture and, and practice this spiritual discipline for just about 30 years. I have to tell you that I've experienced that. I've had days of fasting and prayer where at the end of it, I just have an elation. I have a joy and a celebration. And I have a greater love of peace. I have a greater love for the Lord. So one of the rewards of fasting is as you, and, and be aware that, that a number of spiritual writers say that it takes about two years to tap into some of the, the, the blessings of, of fasting. So this is not something you do in the next three months and then bing. This is going to be snowballing and growing for the rest of your life if you will start to practice biblical fasting. So, um, bottom line, the spiritual rewards we gain from Christ when we fast far outweigh the calories we gain from food when we eat. The rewards of Christ when we fast are far greater than the value of the calories when we eat. Biblical fast creates space in our lives to fill our souls with Christ instead of our stomachs with calories. Biblical fasting is a powerful spiritual life hack that you ought to figure out and make part of your ongoing journey. Um, Ultimately, I think it's a good idea if every Christian fasts one day a week. But there may be seasons where you fast and seasons where you don't. Because it's not a New Testament commandment, you don't have to feel guilty when you don't fast. But my prayer is that more and more you will say yes to God's invitations to fast and pray. So let me give you just um, some basic um, suggestions for biblical food fast. Number one, this comes from the passage in Jesus talking about fasting in Matthew chapter 6. Fast for the Lord, all right? Don't fast for people. Just don't do it. If you fast for people to notice you or to think you're spiritual, you got all the rewards you're going to get. Jesus just lays that out He says, you're not getting any more than people's approval. Fast for the Lord and only for the Lord. So the only people who who know my fast days, well, I tell Marla, because I had a few times in my life where I came in at the end of the day and there was this beautiful family meal and it was a fast day. And I think only twice did I say, oops, I forgot to tell you. I think all the other times I caved. <laughs> um, so Marla, and, and actually, actually, Marla and I now, we've, it's taken a long time, but we've got a rhythm so that we actually fast on the same day of the week which helps you if you're married and when you get married. Um, it, it just makes it easier if you do that together. Um, but what was I saying before I went there? Fast for the Lord. I lost it on that one. All right. Um, in Zechariah 7, five, God says, he just asks straight up, when you fasted, was it really for me? But then he promises that if we do fast for the Lord, God will reward us. We will taste some of those great blessings that come from fasting. All right, so number one, fast for the Lord and only for the Lord. Number two, start small. There's no rules about fasting. You know, there's no rules about, you know, what you can eat and how much you can eat and when you can eat or how long you should do it. And There's no rules about what you should drink and what, what you shouldn't drink. Marla actually gets really mad at me because I, um, I still drink coffee on my fast days, and she says, that's so unhealthy for you. You should not drink coffee. There's no rules. So you can figure out how to do this. In ways that fit you, but start small. Some people say just skip a breakfast or lunch to kind of, to kind of and then use that time to pray or to, to read scripture or take a walk with God. I have to tell you, skipping a meal doesn't, doesn't make much progress for me, all right? I'm not sure it makes much progress for many of us, so I really do recommend that you start with a daylight fast. What that means is that you eat supper the night before, you wake up the next morning. And you then, instead of eating breakfast and lunch, you, you spend that time that you would be eating. Because if you, if you just don't eat food for a day and don't think any more about Jesus, all you did was go hungry. There was no biblical fast in that, okay? It's like, what a waste. Um, the, um, so, so you skip breakfast and lunch and eat supper that evening. So it's called a daylight fast, but it's actually longer than just daylight. For most people, that's the easiest way to start. Um, and so start small, figure out what works for you. Talk with your, your friends and figure out what they're learning in the process. If you just want some other suggestions, if you're going to do a three-day or a seven-day fast, or if you're going to stretch for a 40-day, then you got to get to me, and I've got to show you some just wise ways for how to go about that. But start small. Um, number three, pay attention to your physical body when you're fasting. Because you'll, you'll feel hunger, okay? Your stomach will growl. You might get a headache. You might find at some points in your day of fasting that your your thinking gets a little foggy. Um, Interesting, if you go past that very often, your thinking gets even clearer. When you get to the point that you're doing more than a 24-hour fast, it's interesting, after about 24 hours, there's a clarity of thinking that that lots of people talk about. Um, But pay attention to your body, because your body's going to be your, your kind of prompt to pray. So when you feel hungry... That will be your invitation to pray. When your stomach growls, when you think about food, that will be your invitation to pray. Um, number four, I really think that we need to start and end our days of fasting with intentional prayer. When I don't start my fast day with a prayer, then it's, it's very easy for the day just to run away, and I get to like 6 o'clock that evening, I realize... I didn't think about Christ. I didn't create space for Christ. I didn't reflect. So when I start my day with a prayer, I simply ask, I say, Lord, what do you want me to be attentive to in this day? And then I, I, at this point, I always ask, what do you want me to pray about in this day? Because running around with all you guys, I go into most of my fast days with lots of stuff to pray about for lots of people. And I just want the Lord to sort that through. So every once in a while, in my journal, I'll just start writing down all the things I can think of to pray for. And it's like way too many. And I say, okay, Lord, which of these do you want me to focus on? And then I just put a check mark. And then through the day, when I feel hungry, when I think of food, I refocus on that. Then, I really want to encourage you to end your fast days with five to ten minutes of focused prayer again. If you just just rush right into eating your meal, um, then very often nothing will have settled. You'll have this vague feeling that you're trying to be aware of Christ. But if you'll take five to 10 minutes at the end of your fast day and just say, Lord, was there anything else that you wanted me to see? Then, and, and write those things down, what you sense from the Lord, because you'll usually find that, that the Spirit will kind of kind of condense or sort of make clear one or two ideas for you to go forward um, in your life. And then last um, suggestion. Or just um, something for you to be aware of. When you, um, when you embark in fasting. Be, be prepared for some spiritual pushback. From the enemy of your soul. There, it's, it's a real thing that. When we set out to fast. Because there is. There are ways that God uses fasting. For incredible things. There's a pushback from Satan. There can be spiritual warfare that will try to discourage you. Um, one of the things that, that Satan will do is is in the middle of your fast day and you forget and you eat something, I almost guarantee Satan's going to be right beside you. you saying, ha ha, I told you you couldn't do it. I told you this was a stupid idea. All right? Sometimes at the end of your fast day, you'll you'll kind of wonder, does this matter? And Satan will just kind of be saying, no, God doesn't care. This is just... This is just foolish. Why are you doing? And so be aware that spiritual warfare, some of you might find that after a day of fasting and prayer, there may be a pattern where you are particularly um, attacked by the enemy and tempted. Um, Example of this, Jesus in his fast before he began his public ministry. Now, some people say that at the end of his 40 days of fasting, he was at the weakest that he could be, so that's why Satan went after him then. There are others who say, no, no, Probably he was the strongest he was ever going to be, and Satan was so threatened that that's why he had to get to Jesus and try to distract him. So when, when there's spiritual warfare, use prayer. Bring that up before the Lord. This is a reason, by the way, where you might tell your prayer partner, accountability partner, the days that you fast, so that they can be interceding for you as well. So, um, so Bill Bright, who, the founder of Crew, he writes this. He says, as you enter fasting times of heightened spiritual devotion... Be aware that Satan will do everything he can to pull you away from your prayer. When you feel the enemy trying to discourage you, immediately ask God to strengthen your resolve in the face of difficulties and temptation. The enemy makes you a target because he knows that fasting is one of the most powerful of all Christian disciplines and that God may have something very special to show you as you wait on him and seek his face. Satan does not want you to grow in your faith and will do anything from making you hungry and grumpy to bringing up trouble in your family or um, trouble at work to stop you. Make prayer your shield against such attacks. So I want to encourage you. Start small. Don't try to figure out something for the rest of your life. I want to encourage you to select a day this week and a day next week. The two weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter. I want to encourage you to pick a day and choose to fast To create space for Christ. And and if you you pick next Wednesday and you forget. You get up and you eat breakfast. Don't worry about that. You're just learning something else about fasting in the process. All right? But pick a day this week and next week. Because God's rewards are worth it. For us to deny ourselves. um, Christ in our lives. Way, way, way more significant. Than calories in our bellies. Fasting is not so much about self-denial as it is about saying yes to Christ. Fasting is not so much about food as it is about spiritual focus. Fasting is not so much about doing without as it is about receiving God's rewards. In reality, fasting is feasting on Christ.